The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. As we come on this third Sunday of Advent, we do so with a, a rejoicing spirit about us. Uh, this Gaudete Sunday, as it's often called, uh, is the weekend where we light the, the rose-colored candle and we wear, uh, have the option of wearing the rose-colored vestments. And things are seem supposed to have a little, a little extra kind of pep in our step, spiritually speaking, as we know that the time of the Lord draws near, that Christmas is just a couple of weeks away. The prayers of the Mass also echo that same reality. In fact, the word Gaudete for the Gaudete Sunday draws its, its place from the first words of the Mass, the entrance antiphon that it would be, uh, that would be prayed as seen in the, in the, in the, the Missalettes, quoting St. Paul's letter to the Philippians as he writes to them saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Indeed, the Lord is near. It's good for us to rejoice. But it's that latter part that the Lord is near, for many is a sign of rejoicing, rejoicing, but for many others, rather than rejoicing, it's a reality of fear that the Lord is near, a concern of the heart. This came to mind as I was thinking of my own, my own experiences in that same reality, and it came, the, the, the memory came to mind of my experiences with my parents. Two occasions in which my parents came, one of which I was rejoicing, one of which filled me with fear. Rejoicing was the time that I was, I was at the house and I was by myself. I was still pretty young and there was nobody else at home. It was at night and things were dark and I was scared because I had heard a noise. And I was pretty sure that noise was someone in the house about to kill me. And so I grabbed my handy golf club and I walked around the house ready to bash whatever it was that was there to attack me. And I searched every, every corner, every closet of every room and nothing was there. But there was still this great concern in my heart 
And so when my parents drove up in the car in the driveway, it was this great sigh of relief. Ah, they're back. I'm safe. Good. And it was this rejoicing, knowing that I was safe in the care of my parents. An opposite time was the time that my parents went to go to the LSU football game and left me at home. They said, Brent, don't invite anybody over and don't go anywhere. Just stay here, play video games, do whatever. Okay, sounds good. And they left, and I looked at my watch, and I said, well, I figure I've got at least four hours or so. So I called my friend Stephen. Stephen came over, and Stephen called some other people. They came over. We had a pool party in the backyard, and then... We, uh, we decided it was time to go ride bikes around the subdivision, and so we, off we went, and we were making laps and enjoying a good time. When Stephen's mom walked out of, his, out of his house as we rode by and said, Brent, Brent, come here. So I rode over, and she said, Brent, your mom said to go home right now. She's waiting for you. Oh. <laughs> the return of my parents was anything but rejoicing in that moment. Rather, it was a great fear because I know I was about to get torn up. And it was this recognition that both of those instances were very similar. My parents were gone. I was by myself. And depending on what I chose to do, one filled me with rejoicing at their return and the other one with fear. And it's the same with Christ Jesus. Our Lord Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he reigns in glory now. And we await his second coming. Whether he comes back and he finds us in rejoicing or in fear... Depends upon us. It depends upon how we have chosen to live. Last weekend I spoke about the reality of reconciliation, of how the Lord comes to us at Christmas, of how He took on our flesh that first Christmas day, a time of rejoicing, a time of being reconciled with God, of how not only not only humanity, but all of creation is drawn to God as if pulled by a magnet. But it hasn't been completed yet, of course. And so we wait that final reconciliation when all things are finally one with the Lord. And that day is the second coming of Christ, where the fullness of everything comes to the end, the last day. The last day, again, it can be a thing of rejoicing in our hearts or it can be a thing of great fear and trepidation. Depends on how we are experiencing our relationship with God in the moment. Where are we with the Lord? This time of year, at the end of the uh, the end of ordinary time, as well as the beginning of the Advent season, is a time in which the church invites us to reflect upon those things, what the church calls the last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. The four last things. They're not pleasant for us to reflect upon usually. Most of us don't take great joy in reflecting on our death and judgment. That's not something we sit and, and dream about all day looking forward to, most of us. And yet, it's a reality that every single one of us will face. Jesus himself had tasted death, as did our Blessed Mother. St. John the Baptist, of whom none, none born of women was greater, he too tasted death. By beheading, every single one of us, everyone who calls himself a human person, will taste death. Whether we're ready for it or not, it will come. 
And the church invites us, indeed, to prepare. Reflecting on that, the church has said from the beginning that upon the death of the soul, upon the death of the individual in this earthly world, they are immediately standing before the judgment of God. They immediately stand before the Lord, and He weighs our life. Were we merciful? Did we show love? Were we forgiving? Did we seek to serve others and the Lord before ourselves? Were we consumed with sin? Were we attached to the things of the world so much that we preferred them to God? And all of these questions will come forward to give us one simple answer. Do we desire the Lord above all things or not? And that's the question. And the answer to that determines where we go. For those who, have, who died before the coming of the Lord, there are three options for us at our judgment. Heaven, hell, or purgatory. Hell is a place where it's eternal separation from God. Eternal isolation. Eternal pain. Because we're not even able to love. We won't be able to love anyone else. We won't be able to concern with anyone else because we'll be so concerned about self. And it's a pain for us. A suffering and a grievous one. And it goes for all eternity. In the opposite direction, we have heaven. The place where the righteous are called to enter into the heart of God. Where we have the communion of the saints being joined with others. With the saints and the angels. To be filled with all joy. To be filled with all peace. Where there is no suffering whatsoever. And it too lasts for all eternity. The great majority of us, I think, or at least I pray, will go through purgatory. The place where, by which our soul is cleansed, it's purged of selfless attachments. Where it's not God punishing us per se, as us needing to be cleansed, to enter into the one who is all holy himself, to enter into God. Those three places that will be the options before us. Purgatory, of course, everyone who goes into purgatory ultimately winds up in heaven. So if you go into purgatory, even there, even in the, even in the midst of a little bit of purification, there's still great joy because you know you one day will get to the heavenly gates. That's the course of the normal life of each of us who are called to death before the coming of the Lord. But for those who are still living, things will be a little bit different. On the last day, when the Lord God comes in His glory, we know not when, we know not how, but He will come. The Scriptures liken it to a bolt of lightning that strikes in the sky, as it may strike in one place, but as it goes forth, it's seen all throughout the area. And such the same with Christ. It's been pondered before by some who, thinking in a very earthly terms, have seen that if the Lord comes, surely He'll have to come in time zones. <laughs> so He'll come, in, he'll come in, in Eastern time. That way I know, I know that, that we'll see it on the news and we can report. And I've got at least a good, a good half hour or so to be able to straighten things up before the Lord gets to us as He comes along the way, right? If only. But No. When the angel blows the trumpet, as Revelation says, 
The Lord will be manifest to each and to all at once. And then each of us will stand to be judged. Even without tasting death, there will be judgment. It will be the last day. And at that last judgment, things will be a little bit different. Because for the souls who have died before the coming of Christ, they will stand as, as souls. Those who are in heaven right now, those who are in hell, those who are in purgatory, are just souls. They don't have a body. But we profess every week in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. We're not talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about your body and mine. We will have bodies at the end on the last day. We don't know what they'll look like. We don't know if they'll be a little, a little leaner. Maybe they have a little more hair on top, a little less gray. Who knows? Whatever our body will look like on that day, it will be glorified. It will be glorified. It will be different. It will be changed. And then everyone will stand before God. Those who are still living whenever Christ comes will stand before him, body and soul. Those who have died will be raised up. They will receive their body again. They will receive their body again. From dust we created, to dust we will return. But then God creates us again from the dust to give us a body. And so everyone will stand before God, the living and the dead, and will be judged once more. Except that that final judgment, there is no, there is no purgatory. It's heaven or hell, period. And it's not that there's an option to change. It's not that those who were in hell before have an opportunity to, to have experienced some contrition, repentance of heart, and they can get into heaven now. No. They're simply condemned in their spirit as well as their flesh. And such the same for, the, for those who have in heaven. They can't have done something bad. They couldn't have you know, messed with the angels a little too much, caused a little ruckus in heaven, and now merit hell. Rather, they have their salvation in their spirit as well as in the flesh. And at the end, there it will remain. Flesh and blood in heaven, flesh and blood in hell. Dependent upon how we experience our Lord's coming, whether with fear or with joy. So the church invites us, challenges us, compels us in a sense to reflect upon these things, to give them serious attention. All throughout the church, the saints over and over and over again have encouraged us, reflect upon the last things. Because if we don't reflect upon them here and now, we won't be prepared for them when they come. If we don't prepare for death now, when the death comes, we feel like we've got some work to do. How often it is seen. And so we prepare for the Lord. As we contemplate this second coming of Christ, whether there's fear or whether there's rejoicing in our heart, if there's rejoicing, good, may it increase. If there's fear, rejoice, because there's time to be reconciled. Again, this time that we have on this earth, however long the Lord permits, is a time to be reconciled with ourself, to be able to turn away from sin, to be able to detach ourselves from the things that are unhealthy for us, to be reconciled with others, 
and to be reconciled with our God. It's the normal course of the Christian life to draw more and more into the heart of God and more and more in union with one another. If we're ready, good. If we're not, get there. It's the call of Christ. He's coming. We called upon him, and he will hear us. Come, Lord, and save us. Come, O come, Emmanuel.